Welcome to the Church Podcast, talking all things ministry to help you do church better. I'm your co-host, John Ronaldo, and I'm joined here by, again, as always, with Chris Wesley. What's up, man? How are you today? I'm doing fantastic. You know, uh, for me, this is uh, one of the best weeks of the year uh, for when this airs. Not Well, actually, even when we're recording it, we're in the midst of my favorite season of the year, which is March Madness. And so we've got college basketball going on and college basketball going on and college basketball going on. And so this is airing on Tuesday, the first night of the first four in. Um, I'm going to pretend that Xavier University in Cincinnati, my alma mater, somehow snuck its way in. Uh, that would be awesome March Madness for me. Um, but uh, other than that, you know, spring is starting to sprout here. Uh, things, are, things are good, John. How about with you? You know, you fooled us for a second here because you're saying, I'm in my favorite season. And it's Lent. No, 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 no not no. Lent. No, that's a little, you know little, little Jesus juke on us here. And you went a total different directions. Uh, I'm, I'm going to be honest. You know, I love Lent. I love Lent. But, um, you know, I, I don't know. Now you're making me feel guilty. <laughs> um, I thought you were going to say I love March Madness more, which would be A-OK. But, you know, some people might you know, go, eh. I just, I just want to be honest and authentic with people here, you know. So uh, I yeah. appreciate that. Well, well, Chris, I want you to know that I always root for Xavier University as well, only because my youngest son is named Xavier. Uh, and so I feel like I just have to root for them. And because it's a Jesuit university, too, I'm a little biased. Yeah, yeah, we got to go with the Jesuits. That's why last year was so exciting with Loyola out of Chicago, you know, making it to the Final Four. But uh, got to cheer for those Jesuits. So for me, at this time of year, I'm like a kid in Christmas. And, you know, there's nothing more uh, better than feeling like a kid and getting excited and emotional. And, you know, sometimes having those mental breakdowns during the tournament, like uh, that my wife has to pick up. Um, so there can be a lot of trauma and uh, things like that. And that's why I'm excited to introduce today's guest. No, it's not Dick Vitale. It's not, uh, you know, Jay Bilas. It's not any of these famous basketball commentators, but someone I think is more valuable, John. Wouldn't you agree? Like an MVP in everyone's heart. And that's our, absolutely. that's, that's author, speaker, uh, you know, uh, guru, Roy Pettifees. Roy, how are you doing today? I'm awesome. I'm awesome. I'm glad to be here. I'm excited. One of the reasons we're excited to have you here is, uh, you know, not just because you have a, a new book coming out and everything, but uh, you are an expert when it comes to working with teens and talking about things like, you know, uh, depression, anxiety, uh, kids who are hurting. And I think that's like a huge issue, not just in youth ministry, but in church ministry. Um, why don't you give people a little bit of like your background, um, what you do um, full time, and, uh, and we'll go from there. Yeah, well, most importantly, I'm a full-time husband and father, so um, like you guys, and um, it's, um, yeah, just my wife, Mindy, and our two boys um, from Louisiana. Um, my background is in youth ministry, especially campus ministry, so I did that before um, getting my master's in counseling, and for the last 12, 13 years, I've been in full-time private practice counseling uh, adolescents and working with their families. And then I do some consulting like you guys do, um, folks who want to be more effective in terms of working with teens, especially with a lot of schools handling mental health issues in the classroom, um, not just Catholic schools, but primarily. Um, and uh, do a good bit of speaking, you know, and that's the only time I get to see you guys, so, which is awesome. 
Well, well, Roy, you are a gift to uh, to the church, and I really appreciate and what's going on. Now, let me give you kind of a sense of of kind of how I experienced this, and I really want you to respond to this. Um, <clears throat> a handful of years ago, when I was the director of Youth and Young Adult Ministry for the Diocese of San Jose, we we dealt with kind of a, a spat of, of suicide and other depression type of ailments within our churches in uh, in the Diocese of San Jose. Uh, and what was int- particularly interesting is that um, the areas that uh, that people were hurting the most and where we were dealing with some of these issues of depression and suicide in young people uh, was coming from more affluent areas and more affluent parishes. Mm-hmm. Now, I'm not saying that depression is an affluent thing at all, but you have more experience with no, that. No, it's not. You know, but one of the things that was interesting for us is we really struggled to figure out how is it, not only as parishes, but as a diocese, to respond to situations like this. What do you think the church? What do you think the church needs to be paying attention to in terms when it comes to the pastoral care needs of young people? When young people are hurting, how do we pay attention to this? How do we respond? How do we yeah. help young people who are going through these types of things? I, I, you know, that's a great question, and and you, what you guys saw in San Jose, and I know um, Chris, you, you've seen it as well. And it's not that I don't think that affluent young people and teenagers um, experience more mental health issues than non. The research would certainly not indicate that. I think what happens, though, is that because of the false attribution error, you know, we look at more affluent people and we unconsciously think, well, they must have it all together. You know, they look good, smell good, sound good, um, you know, um, and dress well. So um, and so we we falsely attribute to them, you know, uh, levels of happiness, holiness, having it togetherness that they 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 often don't have, you know, so it's, um, and it's hard to tell because, you know, and a lot of times in affluent communities, you know, they want to put the best foot forward. I mean, who doesn't? Um, and so they will, they will more cleverly and uh, more easily perhaps mask it. And so we don't see these typical warning signs. We have kids who take their lives. We have kids who, and the parents are often just as shocked, you know, as anyone, as anyone else. Um, you know, and very often you'll hear their parents say, how can they be depressed or anxious? I've given them everything. Um, and, and sometimes that's, that's true. And, and, and um, you know, mental health is still a, you know, it's still the wild, wild west in, in a lot of areas in terms of just trying to understand why certain things happen, you know, nature and nurture. Um, but I think, uh, you know, when the kids who are there, you know, when they come to our events or if they're in our schools, um, whatnot, you know, there are things that, that we can pay attention to if, if we listen well. Um, and then, you know, you know, and that's just the affluent dynamic. You know, we've got a big problem, you know, in, in, in certain parts of the country, not necessarily in Louisiana, but is, is the, is traumatized youth, you know, because of deportation. Um, you know, I'm going to be in Los Angeles, you know, next week, or you, I don't know if y'all are going to be there or not. And, you know, in the workshops there, you know, that's a, that's a huge concern for a lot of, you know, the parents and church workers there. How do we deal with the trauma that comes from separation? Um, yeah. And so, you know, and then anxiety, we've got a massive anxiety epidemic and I'm not, I'm certainly not an alarmist, but I am a realist and, um, you know, anxiety rates among young people have doubled. It's the number one most um, uh, diagnosed health condition total health condition in the country today um, and young people are no escape from that and I believe you know, I just I feel like we as people of faith have a unique opportunity to be able to walk with young people and speak into that in a way that um, a secular perhaps 
counselor or you know mentor as good as those people might be um, might not be able to you know yeah um so what i'm curious about as, as someone who works in a local parish as a youth minister is I, I, I feel like I receive, well, mixed messages. One, to walk with these students, but two, at the same time, not being equipped nor educated to counsel these young people. So, and, yeah. and, that's, and yeah. that's the case with uh, most of our uh, churches, even if our, some of our volunteers are school counselors or therapists, yet they can, they can speak to those skills, but the majority of our volunteers, the majority of our staff is not trained uh, in this that's capacity. Right. So what are some of the things, what are some of the suggestions that you have for, for churches um, uh, in regards to approaching a, a child that might uh, come, you know, approach them about having anything from anxiety to suicidal thoughts. Um, what, yeah. are, what are some uh, well, personally, Yeah, that's a, you make two great points there in the context of a question and a half, I think. And, and the first one is that, that, that we, we aren't investing time and training. You know, I was very fortunate when I was in the seminary to go and work with uh, missionaries of charity in Calcutta um, for a few for a few months, and one of the and it was a year after Mother Teresa died. And one of the things that that I learned, which was fascinating to me, was that a lot of the sisters were off at university, off at different schools. They were training to be doctors, lawyers, nurses, mechanics. You know, all of it very very practical, and and that mission field that really inspired me in that it's, you know, we do a lot of training around catechesis, around theology, around, you know, ministry, you know, ministry per se. Um, and that's awesome. Um, but, but we need to be training our people in, in what, what are included in terms of what are the needs of the day. And so I think that social sciences, um, the skills of listening, of paying attention, of attending, of accompanying. And we're doing more and more of it. So I think that's important. Oh, and now I forgot the question. What was the question? What can we do? No, yeah, what, what, what are some tips? So like, obviously, yeah, training yeah. is a huge part of it. But yeah, get, yeah. what are some suggestions? So the biggest tip is, if you know, just a cursory look over at the stats, I'll tell you that one in four kids in, in your youth group are going to have um, clinically significant anxiety or a mood disorder. You know, you can book it 20 to 25%. And, and in those more affluent areas, you can go one in three, probably. You know, you've got lots of perfectionistic teens. And, and that anxiety can turn into depression at, at the drop of a hat. It just kind of depends on how long it goes because it's exhausting. And so one is, if I know it's there, now I can be intentional about looking for it. And I'm gonna look for the signs of isolation. I'm gonna look by listening to their friends. I'm gonna to listen to the kids, because kids talk. You know, I mean, I was a youth minister, kind of got it. I knew, you know, especially, and not always, but, but you know, and I think in really good youth ministries, and we've got lots of them, you know, in our country, you know, the adults are in place, you got core team members are in place, and they're listening, and kids talk. And, and, and so when we get information or when we pick up on a signal that a kid is in crisis, to be able to go to them, I think, and take the initiative and go to them and just say, hey, how you doing? And the kid's going to say 95% of the time, the teen's going to say, I'm doing fine, which is bull. And where I come from, that's half a word, you know. Uh, and they might be, but they might not. And, and you know, so, you know, when I was a young idiot youth minister um i get no i know you're not you know and it was just oh and the poor kid feels all exposed and you know they're like hey i didn't want to go to counseling in the middle of the lunchroom mr p for the love of god um but now we can do simple things of like you know we can make a facial expression to them like okay we let them say face 
um, and just say, hey, if you ever want to talk, I'm here. And that, that just small thing and smile at that kid, maybe put our hand on their shoulder and just say, just thinking about you. Okay, I could be way off. I just thought I would just check in. You know, something simple like that um, is powerful. Um, we've got a lot of young people, and you'll see it at the conferences, and if you're in the church ministry circles, you're certainly hearing the buzzwords of trauma-informed pastoral care. And so what, what we now know in our field, and we've known for the last couple of years, is that trauma exists a lot more than PTSD. Um, so you'll have kids who don't exhibit the traditional PTSD symptoms of nightmares and flashbacks, but they are traumatized, and they've got a traumatized brain. And so one of the things that is so helpful that we do um, silence, breathing, regulating the body rhythms. Those are some things that um, are really powerful. I will go ahead and say this, and it'll get me crucified by half of the Catholics in the United States. The rosary is not my particular go-to devotion. And that's okay, it doesn't need to be. However, that being said, those beads and praying the rosary and the mantra of that, that also helps to regulate. Those are, those types of devotions and prayer rituals are phenomenal for kids who are struggling with anxiety, especially stress, you know, and depression. And so I wouldn't hesitate, you know, adoration's good, you know, begin scaling the music down, getting them to be able to spend some time in silence. Those things are, are really phenomenal. I think that's a really interesting uh, thing that that church has to offer because even mm -hmm. the other the other night I was laying in bed and I just I had so much on my mind. I was really I was anxious. I, I had anxiety. And and I have to even now as a as a as an adult who works in the church and the faith is an important piece, I have to remind myself, okay, it's time to pray, right? It's time to lift this up to God. Now now right. you know, from a from a secular point of view, the idea of meditation or yoga or having beads in your hand and praying the Hail Mary over and over and over again, right, is really powerful. And yet from a religious point of view, you're also offering that up to God. Exactly. So, so I think that's what's it's really cool. Yeah, exactly. I think that's a really cool. And that's what the church has to offer that you don't always get in, in necessarily a, a secular world. And even I have to remind myself, like, okay, it's time to pray. It's time to do something to lift this up to that's God. Right. Because when I do that, I, I feel better. I don't know how people go through Absolutely. the craziness of life without prayer because to know that somebody else is in charge and not me, that's a stress relief yeah. right there. <laughs> oh, huge. And look, yeah. I've done a lot of meditation stuff, you know, secular, you know, Buddhist and all. What, what's unique about prayer though, is that it's a, it's really about a personal relationship with the, with a person mm -hmm. and, and that, and that I can experience not just being in this, this calm stasis, you know, of no thought in my mind and maybe even no anxiety, but that I can experience being loved by another, um, by, by a person. And that person is Jesus. And, and that, that not only can, it is not only a coping thing and what we, what we know, and we've got secular research to substantiate this. You guys know this is that, that it can be very healing, incredibly healing in ways we may not even be able to explain. Um, prayer can be very healing. That's not to say though, that, that we should encourage, you know, pray it away. <laughs> yeah. Right. Now, um, now, now I'm a pastoral minister and, and you've, you've given me some techniques, really listening, connecting, really engaging you know, with young people. Um, but obviously this is not my field. I'm not a professional counselor. I get really nervous around the idea of dealing with kids with depression uh, and whatnot, just because I'm not skilled in that. 
at what point do you think a pastoral minister needs to begin engaging one the parents and two professionals and then how do we go about doing that great that's a great question john and 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 that's questions i get a lot you know when i'm on the road so some no brainers would be serious substance use you know obviously all of the the ones that would would require you to be a mandated reporter right so suicide but suicidal thoughts you know that's something that i don't have to let parents know about i can i can get a gauge on where they are um, and still not have to break the the confidentiality of the team so and and a lot of this is around youth ministers and training their volunteers and ministers being really um really up to date and knowing in terms of what are the confidentiality policies in the parish of the diocese or the school. Um, and so, and, and so some dioceses are much more strict, you know, you know, a kid is, is having even thoughts of perhaps a same sex attraction. And I know that there are diocesan directors who would want those youth ministers to let the parents know. Um, that wouldn't necessarily be my judgment call, but you can see there's some, some gray area there. So the first thing I would say would be to talk with whoever your supervisor is and ask them if they have any sort of uh, predilections on, 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 on how they would want you to do it. Um, but, but certainly suicidal thoughts, self-harm, self-injurious behavior, cutting, punching, serious substance abuse, um, you know, you know, uh, smoke pot, experimented with pot, maybe not, but if the kid's snorting coke, you know, or dabbling in meth, that, that would certainly be something I think we'd want to let the parents know. And, um, and then we've got our skills as ministers to go to parents. And, you know, wh what's interesting is that so many of us in ministry have really, and I know you two guys have very well, we know how to deal with resistance in young people. But it's amazing how we don't transfer those same skills to parental resistance. It's the same thing. They're scared. They're in shock. They're in panic. They're proud. They're embarrassed. Um, they're frightened out of their mind. And that comes across as denial and a lot of times they are in denial um but to be able to go to the parent and be able to bring empathy there and to be able to just check in with them and say what's it like for you to hear me tell you that your child is having you know suicidal thoughts and now we're ministering in that moment to the parent and i'm not doing therapy with the parent i'm just checking in i'm paying attention if i'm really paying attention i'm probably seeing some non-verbals and the mom you know or dad freaking out um and then just to check in with them. Um, but two things in that moment, you know, if we're going to the parent, I think it's, um, we ask them, how can we help? And that's where I think it's on youth ministry leaders to have resources available to us to put in the parent's hand. You know, you know and you'll hear in the book, I talk about it all the time, the football gets fumbled. I rarely played football. Um, I, I watch it, I'm still ticked off that the Saints lost nonetheless, but the football, it's like we hand off the football, right, the, the team to the therapist, but they never actually get to the help they need. And a lot of that happens in our interaction with the parent. You know, how effective we are in talking with the parent will raise the likelihood that that kid actually gets the help and resources they need. I mean, you know, that I know you guys know this, you know. Tell, tell us about this book. So you mentioned a book, you know, what, what's going down with this book and where can we find out more uh, about yeah, this particular book? Yeah, that's the book. You know, it's, um, I wrote it because I wasn't going to write another book, um, just because I had done it and, um, it's hard. Um, and it is like birth in a child. I think I wouldn't know, but, um, 
we left NCYC and my session in 2017 was called Too Blessed to Be Stressed. There was like room for 700 kids, but there were a thousand kids in the hallway. Um, a lot of them crying, begging me. Their parents came in begging me to let them in. And I was like, oh my God. You know, I mean, they were having panic attacks in the hallway. And, and I was like, this is a real need. And my wife and I on the plane ride home, I was like, I think I'm going to write another book. And I wrote the table of contents right out, you know, there on the plane. And the whole purpose of it is to empower parents, ministers, youth leaders, um, and give them some real basic skills of, of assessment, of listening, of confidentiality. I, I really think the book, you know, they titled it, Ave, the, my publisher titled it A Field Guide. But, um, and I thought that was a little um, perhaps uh, overreaching, but after rereading, I don't think it is at all. I don't think it's the only resource you want to have in your pastoral care arsenal, but I think it's an essential one. Um, so, so give us the title and, and where can people find that book? And, and we'll have links in the show notes to this as well. Yeah, sure. It's called Helping Teens with Stress, Anxiety, and Depression, a Guide for Catholic Parents, Youth Workers, and Pastors. And it's available wherever books are sold online, Amazon, Barnes & Noble, Ave Maria Press. Definitely, definitely. And, and <clears throat> yeah, I was, I was looking at it the other day, and um, it's definitely something that I feel like would be great uh, as a youth worker to sit down with my team and just kind of, you know, make like a book study and yeah. go through that and, and, and tackle some of the, the practicum there. Um, what are some, you know, I, I feel like we're in this world where we're being so reactive to a lot of the trauma that's going on. And granted, we can't yeah. prevent bad things from happening. But what are some things in our ministries, that in our churches, that we can do to be proactive so that, yeah. you know, any student um, that has the, the wisdom or the foresight to see that they're entering into a difficult time uh, can come to us as a resource. Uh, and, and so we're not yeah. reacting and, and scrambling and panicking. Yeah, well, one, I think, I think we, we do that a lot already. And, and, and so some of what I think is important when we train people and, and help folks, ministers, our parents, is to reaffirm for them what they're doing that's so important because they're not getting immediate feedback that that's happening so when you and this is going to sound cheesy and i know a lot of youth ministers are going to write it off because it's not uber practical but but when you smile at a kid when you listen to them when you're when you're there when you see them when you ask them questions those are all things that make us a safe place and those are all very proactive things um concrete actions that are preventing stuff that, that from happening that you wouldn't even know about um, you know, and because and, a lot of the kids who I work with who come to me um, really just need a caring adult um, who will listen to them. You know, a lot of them do. And so um, that's something I think that's a that is a real proactive thing. I think to talk about mental health, you know, to you know, when we give when we allow kids to be able to give testimonies, you know, and other adults, I think it's really powerful for young people when adults, and I know, I know it is when I share mine, you know, my own battle with depression and anxiety, that, uh, that kind of destigmatizes it and it paves the way um, to be able to, for young people to be able to um, come to us. And then finally, I, I would suggest that helping teens help one another is a real powerful way to do that. Cause we all know they're gonna go to one another before they'll come to us. And so if you've got a kid you know, and so to be able to help, and so a lot of the kids who are struggling are, are those teen therapists, right? Because they're taking it all on. And so to be able to walk with them, help them learn how to set boundaries, help them learn how to give them some basic listening skills, 
and then how to come back and giving them a place to be able to process it. You know, it's not turning the kids into therapists and we're not doing that to ministry leaders either. It's just, um, but those are some real proactive ways. And sacraments, retreats, all of those things are powerful, powerful. I, I think the idea uh, about young people helping each other, I think that really resonates. It reminds me of experience I had when I was a senior in high school. It was literally senior prom weekend. And, uh, and we were going through prom. And that Saturday evening of prom, one of the well-respected, well-known sophomores in our, in our high school uh, was killed in a car accident. Uh, and it really devastated the entire community. And, and so Monday, that Monday was senior cut day. So I wasn't going to go to school anyways. But what was really interesting is I was wandering through town that day uh, that I saw young people from my high school all over the place at people's homes and out in the street, like hanging out. Clearly, so many people had, had, were cutting school that day. Um, because they just couldn't handle, they were trying to process the death of this particular young person. And, and what you said just now really resonated. I saw young people uh, consoling and helping other young people and how that was such a need at no that moment in time. It was so powerful Absolutely. for me to watch. And me being a young person at the time too, I found myself engaging and talking with different people and, and helping kind of process it. And it wasn't even conversation. It was as simple as just hanging out and saying nothing together and how yeah. powerful that was. I, I, that's really no powerful. Question, I, I, I wanna real quickly, this, this episode is going to air literally two days before Youth Day in Anaheim. Um, at the Religious Education Congress. And so you were doing a workshop at Youth Day uh, yeah. called Lean on Me, Helping Your Friends Without Hurting Yourself. Give us a little bit more practical uh, ideas of how we, how we as ministers help young people minister to other young people. Yeah. Well, understand that a young person, when, when their friend goes to them, uh, is going to going to feel an obligation to help that their first impulse is often going to be a want to help because they have such devotion and loyalty to their friends. Um, when folks ask us for help, that might be our first inclination as well, but hopefully at some point our boundaries kick in and we, we filter through our prefrontal cortex, a whole bunch of things that might prohibit or enable us to be able to do it. Kids don't often don't really do that. And so it's to be able to get them to be able to, to be able to one, see, am I in a place where, where I can help my friend? And if I am, how much can I help my friend? Because what, what we see, and I know you guys see it too, is, is that, you know, you've got one kid in the pool drowning and now we've got one on the side of the pool with no arms and no feet and paddles. And he jumps in and tries to save him. And now we've got two kids in the pool drowning. And, um, and, and to help what our role with those helper kids is to, is to help them lower the guilt that they feel from not being able to completely be there at their beck and call of their friend um, and, and to help them find ways to suggest and, and get their friend some help. And, um, and if not, how to begin setting boundaries and giving them some language to do that in a way that doesn't, that, that minimizes the, the, the fracture or the, uh, the disruption to the relationship. And, to be straight up with them and say it might affect the relationship. Mm -hmm. You know, kids appreciate that when we're just honest with them. Yeah, you know, it's interesting that you bring that up because I can think back to tons of times where I've seen friendships fall apart 
um, in our ministry because one student's going through something and the other student doesn't know how to help. And it can be as something yeah. as profound as depression, or it could even be like when, um, you know, there's been a situation where we have teens whose friend lost their virginity and they don't know how to like handle that and, and go through yeah. that with their friend, yeah. especially if they're a virgin themselves. Um, how do we work with, or what, are, you know, we want to be helpful towards people, but we also want to protect ourselves from toxic relationships, right? Um, Amen. Amen. What, are, what are some of the things that we can do or help our teens or even our volunteers to do to make sure that, you know, they can serve people, that they can help people, but not get sucked up into a relationship that could become toxic over time, that could yeah. you know, expedite a lot yeah. of energy and put themselves at jeopardy? Yeah, that's right. So a few things around that for, for you're talking about the ministers, right? The volunteers, like not the teams, yeah. how, to, how to help them. Yeah. So mm -hmm. one is, you know, training on, on boundaries, obviously confidentiality, all that safe environment stuff. Like we got it. Um, and, but, but some basic self care principles, like not necessarily going and getting your toenails done, but, and that, that's fine too. Um, a massage is great, but like get some sleep, get some exercise, like do some basic things of, taking care of yourself. Um, um, my volunteers, I'm going to, I want to know how they're doing socially that, that this isn't their only little support world. I want to make sure that you've got adult friends. You know, those are some things I want to encourage them. Um, you know, and if necessary, make sure that our volunteers, if their stuff's getting triggered, right, which can happen and they can get involved in an enmesh relationship that they've got, you know, whatever support they need on the side in addition to us. But I think primarily when it comes to that is, is we, we can't repeat it enough is to let them know. And I, I did this naturally because of my anxiety, which is to go one up and check. If in doubt, if you feel like you're getting in this relationship um, and you're in too deep, check with me, right? There's always a way out. We can fix this and we can work with it, but we can't do it if we don't know about it. And, um, and so that I do that every day as a therapist, you know, I've got, I work with, I intentionally don't have a practice alone so that I can talk about what's happening in me and between me and my clients with others. And that keeps everything above board. It helps the kids and it helps us in the ministry. Awesome. Awesome. No, that, that that's really good. Uh, Cause uh, again, I know that's something that you, uh, for not just youth ministers, but people in ministry, they get uh, washed up in that romanticizing or they romanticize that, that, that superhero syndrome. And, and they need me. Right. They and need it, me that for us, I understand them better. Yeah. And, and, you know, when I, when I talk to those volunteers and do those trainings, I, I can testify been there and I will, I will, you know, and that, that's one of the things that I love that Project YM, and I know you guys have, have done a little bit of, is, you know, as much as possible, let our volunteers know our failures and what we learned from it. Um, and that really opens it up for them to be able to come and go, you know, hey, I did. Uh, now, I'm not talking about opening up the failures to the, the kids necessarily, and but, but how we share with our volunteers, because uh, I've been there. I've been in some mm -hmm. really uh, enmeshed, um, difficult relationships and have backed my way out of it so well and it's 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 the martyrdom syndrome that i think we easily can fall into you know we want oh. to be like jesus literally right absolutely. <laughs> you know and, absolutely. And, and 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 we fall under uh, under the false idea that this is all for god and so i need to just oh. throw myself in and and 
uh, and that can take into an extreme that can be really unhealthy, you know, um, to, to your point, you know, the idea that we, we have to take care of ourselves in the process. And, uh, and, and people look at us as leaders in, in ministry, leaders in the church, people think that we have our act together, or at least that's the public face that we often show. Um, gosh, if they only knew, <laughs> right? You know, but I, I agree. I, I mean, I think we need to be real about you know, our own failures, our own struggles. You know, as leaders, as ministers, um, our, you know, our, our our struggle with our relationship with God, and I think that's all good. I think that's all healthy, and and stop mm-hmm. pretending that mm-hmm. look, my life is is perfect because oh it, my gosh, it ain't. It ain't. Uh, it's not. And we all know. I mean, it's the price of admission with millennials and young people today. I mean, mm-hmm. if you think you got your stuff together, I mean, you're not even going to get through the door. Mm-hmm. Um, right. You know. Yeah. No, this has been great. And uh, um, I know we could talk about this for hours um, on I end. Know. I know. Just, um, as painful yet as hopeful it can be. Um, thank you again for joining us. Uh, again, uh, the book is helping uh, teens with stress, anxiety, and depression, a guide for Catholic parents, youth leaders, and pastors. And uh, it can be found at AveMariaPress.com. Uh, you know, welcome to the Ave family, Roy, and uh, also mm-hmm. on mm-hmm. Amazon. Um, Happy other, to be here. Yeah, yeah. In other places, books can be sold uh, and, and found. Um, but Roy, uh, what, where are, uh, are a couple of other places people can find you? uh well one my podcast today's teenager um is um that there and then today's teenager.com is uh my site and you can find everything about me and and the work we do there awesome cool cool well again thank you for joining us and if you guys have questions that maybe you want us to relay to roy uh um you can go ahead and find them in those uh those websites we'll have them in the show notes at the church podcast dot org um if you have questions you can shoot them to us at questions at the church podcast dot org you can find john ronaldo at uh, john ronaldo.com on uh, social media especially twitter uh, you can find me at marathon youth ministry.com um and uh, i'm more found on instagram at marathon youth ministry these days uh so uh, again roy thank you for joining us and usually a tradition that we have is we have our guests close us in prayers uh, in prayer will you do that for us awesome. today yes absolutely and then father son holy spirit amen Christ, heavenly father we thank you um, for the gift of this day we thank you for the media that allows us to share your good news um, with others lord we ask you to bless the young people that you place in our care Bless all of those who care for them. Give us strength for the journey and draw us ever closer into your heart. We pray. Amen. Amen.